Oh, please, 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 just keep it, I'm just kidding. <laughs> How's everybody doing today? Oh, good, it is good to be back. Um, you know, I, did you guys enjoy Pastor Dan a couple weeks ago and, and Pastor Chris last week? You have to say yes, he's right there, so he's right there. Now, despite what Pastor Chris said last week, there is no shame in loving sushi or the 49ers, okay? It's all right. But um, I'm glad to be back. Now, uh, as, as much as I, I had a fun time away with my wife, um, I, I was anxious to be back here. And that, that's very, very true. I, I'm excited for all the stuff going on around here. I don't know if you guys, if you drive in, if you see the, the new sign getting built out in the parking lot, you see the pillars that are there. And I know this next week they're going to start putting the mortar around the pillars. So, so there, there's so much to be excited for what's going on here with the, the new sign. Um, the, the abundance we have that we get to, we have the freedom to come and celebrate today. Not only are we celebrating the birth of America, you know, 245 today, but we get to celebrate the freedom that we have in Jesus. Uh, if you look, the, the field is getting some work done to it. We uh, signed some papers to have the church, some repairs done and paint coming. There's just a lot going on and a whole lot to be excited and celebrate for. So while I was away, I couldn't help but think how excited I was to be back and to keep going with everything that we've been doing and to be a part of this church family that has been so fun to be a part of. So, so thank you guys for, for having me here today and joining me today, whether you're in person or online. Welcome, guys. Thank you for joining us there as well. But, um, oh, and also, another thing I can't go without uh, mentioning, Celebration Kids is adding first grade this next year. And that, that's a huge thing for the, the school. So, yeah. There's, there's a lot going on. So much to celebrate, so much to be thankful for. And uh, let's pray as we uh, dive into the Word this morning. God, I thank you so much. I thank you for this place that is, is called Celebration Center, Celebration Church, God, that we get to come and celebrate who you are, all the good things you're doing in our lives, in our community, in our families, God. And I pray that, that today we uh, really understand and celebrate the freedom that we have in you, not just as a nation, but because of you, in you, and through you, we find real freedom. So we thank you for that, God. We thank you, we love you, and everybody said, amen. amen. All right, you can turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8. We're going to be going through uh, those two chapters a bunch today. And who's excited for fireworks? I love fireworks. Now, coming from California, fireworks are illegal. When, when, they, when they, we say fireworks in California, unless you're going to one of the shows that the city or like an amusement park will do where you see fireworks, um, the only thing you can buy are little poppers. You know, that you can buy for birthday parties. You know, hey, happy 4th of July. Boo! You know, and that's, that's what you get to do. So I experienced for the first time this weekend, Boom City. I was like a kid in a candy store. I, I felt like I was going to get arrested just for talking about this stuff because of where I came from. But I am so excited. So we, we loaded up on fireworks. Um, Avery got a little backpack that she kept thinking was full of candy. We're like, you cannot eat what's in this backpack. That would be bad news. But she's excited, and yesterday we said, oh, you know, Avery, we're going to light off the fireworks. She goes, not all of them. I've got to save more for later. And uh, we bought enough to save more for later. But it's, it's going to be fun. But I love fireworks. One of my favorite places to watch them, there was a city production where um, the city of Concord in California, where I lived, uh, worked with a church there, and they did something called the singing flag. And this was really cool. They had this, this big tiered flag. This thing had hundreds upon hundreds of volunteers. But it was like a two-day fair sort of thing where they had people wearing red, white, and blue up on a flag, and they would, they would sing patriotic songs, and they would do a, a tribute to the soldiers and the troops. And it was massive. They honored soldiers. They honored the country. And at the end, they had a huge fireworks show. Now, we were lucky enough to where we lived like seven houses away from the park. And so we could hear the music and see the fireworks just by going outside. 
And it was one of my favorite things to do um, until they stopped doing it a number of years ago. But it was a fun celebration, the 4th of July, the birth of America, and all the explosions that happened because of it. Now, on this day, 245 years ago, over 50 men signed a document by Thomas Jefferson. He declaring us a free country. And part of that document said this. It said, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve a political bond which they have committed with another and to assume among the powers of the earth and the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitles them, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness." Now, the Declaration of Independence, signed in Congress July 4th, 1776, declaring their freedom from the oppressive rule in that time of England. Now, I did see this great thing online. If anyone here has roots from England, I saw this thing online. It said, happy treason day, ungrateful colonists. <laughs> so, so you're not alone. We're thinking of you, too. We're just celebrating as well. But today, we're going to talk about the Declaration of Independence that we have, which is more so, it is the freedom in Christ. We have an incredible freedom in Christ. So if you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 7, we're going to start in uh, verse 1. But Paul says in these verses that this is really could be what is kind of like a, a Christian declaration of independence, a Christ follower's declaration of independence. He declares that in Christ we have been set free from a few things. We're going to talk about those today. So the first thing we're going to talk about is being free from the law. Paul talks about us being free from the law. Now, before I read, this does not mean you are free to break the law. Don't everyone, don't, I don't want anyone going home saying, Pastor Dustin said we're free from the law, so let's loot and let's pillage and let's go crazy. That is not the kind of law he's talking about. We're going to talk about what kind of law he is talking about today. So Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 1, it says this. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a, woman, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law that binds her to him. So then if she has relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what was once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of written code. There, there's a lot of metaphors and analogies there when it comes to being bound to something and being freed from something. And he uses um, a story of, of uh, a woman in that. So, so to share with you guys, um, I have a dear friend of mine who was a friend for many, many years. She was married for a long time, and her husband passed away. And she was married for, I believe, over 20 years before her husband passed away. And she was single for a long time. This is one of the happiest women, women you'll ever meet in the world. Loves kids like no other. She was just a pure joy to, to know and be a friend with. Um, she met another man, and it was exciting to see her fall in love and date and get married to a man. She referred to him as my man. My man. This is my new man. And she got married, and she was so happy. But one day, one day I, I was talking to her, and I asked a question. She gave me a very short, snappy response. And I was like, oh, this is not like you. S something's wrong. And uh, I you know, didn't say anything in that moment, but 
went home. I was talking to Stephanie about it. We were just kind of like, that was, that was weird. Like that, that interaction with her was so weird. So I went and I, I asked her about it one day. I brought it up and I, I said, hey, is, is something going on? Because that typical that response wasn't like you. And what she said wasn't mean-spirited or wrong. It's just the, the, the way it was delivered was like, there's something not right. And so I'd asked her, I said, what's going on? And she said, well, I had been married for 20 years before my husband died. And my new husband and I now are in kind of a little rough patch. And I said, well, can, can you share? Can I pray for something? And she says, well, what's happening is I'm getting into an argument with him because something I would do for my previous husband, the way that my habits and, and lifestyle, I've brought into this marriage and we're conflicting about it. But I feel like I need to do it because I was married for so long and I'm having a hard time letting it go in my new relationship. And so, so I prayed with her about it. And she was really struggling with this, this new life that she had been because she was still kind of tethered to her old life. Now, none of these things she was talking about were bad. It wasn't like it was a really bad habit. It was just different. And she had to learn how to, to kind of separate the old from the new. Now, she is very happily married still. She and her husband are awesome people. Her husband's a great guy, and they are very happily married. But she had habits that she had to, to work on because, she, like I said, she still felt she was tied to something old and was having a hard time embracing something new. Now, Paul in these verses is teaching people an important lesson. He uses marriage and relationships as an example of breaking something old and going into something new. And we know he's speaking to, to Jewish Christians at the time because he says, I'm speaking to men who know the law. And he's using an illustration of marriage. But let me say up front here, this, this whole passage he's talking about, this is not a marriage lesson. He's using that to talk about freedom that we have when we have a new life in Christ. Paul's making one big point, and he's saying this ultimately, because in, in Bible times, if a woman was called, caught doing adultery, she would be stoned and put to death. That's why he was using this, because it's such a big thing for them to be dealing with. So the point he's making is this. If we were bound to the law, if we were still bound to the law, we should all be put to death for our sins. If we were bound to that law, we should be put to death. This passage says that death comes through the body of Christ. So since we are joined to Christ, when he died, we died with him through faith. And because we cannot in any way perfectly keep God's decrees, we can't perfectly keep God's law. We, we, we've all fallen short, right? We've all messed up. We continually deserve the death penalty. That's what we deserve, but we're not bound to it. The wages of sin are death. Not freedom. The wages of sin are death. In the Old Testament, to, to deal with this, God had this system, right? He had this system where what would remind lawbreakers of what happened is an animal would have to take the place of your death, right? We talk about the, the sacrifices people would make. That was to atone for the sin. In order for your sins to be, to be covered, something had to die and take its place. These sacrifices were looked forward to as Christ's death and atonement for our sin because his sacrifice would be ultimately the one that set us totally free from this guilt of being bound to that law. And we know that Jesus didn't deserve death, right? Jesus didn't deserve death. God raised him from the dead. And we know that when we put our faith in Christ, we get that same thing. We get to be with him forever. We are free from the law. When we're crucified with Christ, the penalty of the law, death, it no longer has captive over you. It no longer has chains. It no longer can hold you down. The sentence has been paid in full by Jesus. That's an incredible way to celebrate freedom. Therefore, because of this, we're no longer under the curse of the law, which is death. Being crucified with him, we are freed from curse and the guilt that comes with it. And Paul says this in verse 4 there. He says, so my brothers, you also died to the law. You see, the law to them is dead. 
They're saying that the penalty for this, what, what, we, what we consider condemnation, is gone because of the freedom that comes with Jesus. We are free from the law, and we are now under grace. And that, man, if there's nothing that's going to take a weight off your shoulders, just think of that. You are free from the law, and you now live by grace. That's an incredible thing. He's saying you can't live for the world and be bound to the world. We live for and are free in Jesus. So how does, it, how does this apply to us? Now, on, on the notes in, in the slide, I put a little phrase next to there under the first point. I put do to be. We are free from the law, but it says do to be. Now, there, there's a good summary here of kind of the, the law being taught. Now, if you were to be righteous by keeping the law and you had certain things to do to be righteous, you know what would happen? You'd fail. Every single time you'd fail. Because James 2.10, James, the brother of Jesus, says this, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Not the most uplifting passage, right? <laughs> you know, if you break just one thing, you broke it all. You, you, you blew it. But, but that goes totally in line with how, how we can't do this on ourselves, right? We can't do this on our own because of the weight of sin and the, and the bondage that sin can have. But the freedom we experience in Jesus says you're right. It's nothing that we have to do. We don't have to do to be something. We get to live in the freedom of Christ because he paid that price already for us. We can never be good enough or made righteous by the things that we do. There, there are many times that, uh, that we, maybe we can think like those, those Jewish Christians back then that, that Paul's talking to now, that maybe you think, if I just do this, I can be set free. If I just do this more, maybe if I say this, if I read here, if I go this route, Maybe I can do something to become something else. But it's not what we do that saves us. It's not what we do. It's what Jesus has done already that saves us. That is the underlying line. Jesus has done it. He has done all that it takes to make us right before God. Nothing we can do can earn our salvation. Jesus did it. Yet so many times we can carry around that burden, right? That, that, that burden of thinking there's something more we have to do. Maybe in order to be saved, I have to go to church. I have to read my Bible. I have to pray because we think those things are important, but sometimes we, we end up mixing those up by thinking those are the things that are going to save us. When those aren't things that are going to save you, those are the things that help you grow understanding that Jesus already saved you. Going to church, reading your Bible, praying to God, memorizing scripture, these are all important things that I encourage, man, everybody do it. I love seeing you all here at church. I think memorizing scripture is an incredible thing. When you memorize scripture, there's times where life just, just punches you. you know, life hits you hard and verses start giving you encouragement, even when you don't have your Bible in front of you because you've memorized things. And it's God's way of speaking into your life when you don't have that book in front of you. It's amazing what these things do for us, but these in themselves, they don't save us. Jesus saves us. Only the grace of God that we enter into through our faith and obedience, that's what saves us. But we have a hard time with this in society, right? Society tells us that we have to do to be. And what I mean is that society says things like this, and it's all over TV, it's in magazines, it's on social media. Things say, say like, you're only valuable if you're pretty. You're only valuable if you produce something. You're only valuable if you can dunk that basketball. If you can throw that touchdown pass. If you can hand off the ball to Marshawn at the one. You're valuable. If you have doctor in front of your name, you're valuable. If you are a movie star, you're valuable. If you have a six or seven figure salary, you're a political figure, you drive an expensive foreign car that makes everyone's mouths drop, and my mouth still drops when I see some cars like that on the street. The world says if you have those things, you're valuable. You have to do something to be something. 
There's a constant struggle to be somebody or something that society tells you you have to be. But Jesus destroys those, those stereotypes. Jesus destroys all those things because he says, I died for you, you're valuable. You don't have to be something to be valuable to me. I already died for you. Paul in Romans 7, he de- it says that he declares our freedom. He says these things. We are free from the law, which says we deserve death. We are free from the burden of having to do to be something. We are free and we have value in Christ. He saw our value. If you were not valued, God never would have sent him for you in the first place. But I love the scripture says, God sent his son to the world because you are valued. You don't have to do something to be that value. You are already valued, and Jesus gives you freedom in that value. The second is this. We are free from the frustration of flesh. Uh, continuing in Romans, this is verse, uh, chapter 7, verses 14 to 25, a big chunk, but it's good. It says this. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, and I agree that the law is good as it is, it is no longer myself who do it, who does it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, war waging against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then... I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature of a slave to the law of sin. Now, that kind of sounds like Yoda talking, right? Like, I do, I do, do not do, do this, I hate do, what do. Like, there, there's a whole lot in that passage. But, but it's a really tough passage, but, but I think it helps answer several questions of what Paul's trying to teach here, especially when it comes to, to being frustrated with, with what you want to do and what you actually go do at times. But first we need to understand, what does Paul mean by I? This, ver- this is best to understand, this is a literary device used to understand the universal struggle of mankind. Paul's not just saying him. This is, he's saying, guys, this is us. This is what we struggle with as Christ followers, right? Especially today in today's society. Frustration of the flesh. He, and this is, he sums it up great just in verse 15. This is a great summary of what does it mean to be frustrated in the flesh? I do not understand what I do for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Everyone here agrees that, I mean, I I think we could all agree that that's kind of like a struggle we have, right? I know I shouldn't do that, and I don't want to do that, but I'm going to do it anyways, right? I mean, that's that's something that we all kind of go down the road at some point. We know we shouldn't, but we do it. And why are we frustrated? Let me say a phrase I don't know if anyone's ever heard before, and it just didn't this wasn't something that, uh, that I thought I would ever say either because I, I don't like it when I feel this way. But understand this. Frustration is good. Frustration is good. It indicates that you care. Frustration is good. It indicates that you care. Now, if you get so frustrated, you freak out. That's a whole separate thing. But the fact of being frustrated is good. It's showing that you care about what you're doing, that you care about the result, the outcome, the path. You care about it. 
it, it, it shows that you do, in fact, if, especially in this context, if there's something you don't want to do, you know you shouldn't, and you're getting frustrated and you do it, it's, it's okay to be frustrated because it shows that you know what you need to do. You're struggling with it. That's okay. If you're not frustrated by this struggle, there's probably a deeper issue there because it means that you don't care that you really don't care the outcome, you really don't care what's going on, and that's a whole separate thing on itself. Being frustrated is okay because it shows that you care about what's going on. But why are we frustrated? We're frustrated because when, when, we, when we embrace this, this book, we embrace the, the life and the freedom that Christ gives you, we know that there's now a desire to do these things. There's a desire to walk in Jesus. There's a desire to, to have your heart lining up with his heart. And that's why we can get frustrated when we start maybe to, to look the other way or go down a path or do something that we know we shouldn't do because we do have that desire. We have that desire because we delight in God's law. When we delight in God's law, we don't find scripture burdensome. We, we don't find serving as, as a chore. We, we find it something that, like kind of what Tannis said, something we get to go and do. Something that we get to say, hey, I get to meet these people. I get to, I get to ache the next morning, but it's because I got to go do this and it was so fun and it was so good and we get to see the fruits of what we're doing. We don't find it burdensome. It's not a chore. Worshiping isn't, isn't a, a, a headache or a heartache. Giving God time and talents isn't something that we're like, oh gosh, I gotta give this to God now. It's, it's something we get to do. We delight in it and it's fun. And we get to see our own growth that happens when we do it. That's a desire and a delight that we have. Serving God isn't a task that we seek to get over with. It's something that we get to look forward to. And I love that. We get to see that he gives us the ultimate sense of joy. And since we desire to do good and we delight in these things with, with God, that's when frustration spills. That's when the frustration spills over, when we know that that's when we're going to mess up at times or when we think that we're doing something that we shouldn't do. So we can get frustrated. But it's, it's understand, I think, uh, helpful to understand how, the, how frustration kind of works in, in the spiritual aspect, how it works in everyday life too, right? Now, we all know we have good intentions, we, we talked about this, I think, at New Year's with, with New Year's resolutions. We, a lot of us can make really, really good intentions. And, and you stick with for a little bit. You, you plan the things. So I'm going to eat healthier. I'm going to get up early. I'm going to work out. I'm going to join an exercise program. I'm going to do a reading plan. You get all these intentions in place, right? And for the first part, you start and you're doing good. And then uh, later on, you know, a few days into it, the alarm clock rings and a snooze becomes your best friend in the whole wide world. <laughs> yeah, nope, snooze. Nope, snooze. You had good intentions, but those intentions, you know, kind of the, the flesh kind of kicked in and those intentions went on the wayside a little bit. The intentions were still good, but the execution maybe failed a little bit. In our minds, it's easy to think like, I'm going to get it done, right? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this and it's going to be amazing. And then, uh, and then, you know, a few weeks into your, your healthy eating plan, you, you see that dozen donuts from Krispy Kreme and pretty soon there's no donuts left, right? Those things go down so easy. The exercise bike, uh, you realize, oh, I haven't plugged it in. I'll plug it in eventually. And then it's just kind of dying and not charged. You hit snooze five times. Uh, the, the car is, is still, you know, the, your, your source of transportation, even if you said you were going to bike or run. Just, you know, just life kind of kicks in. And it seems like you're not living to the intentions that you had set. And, and it's hard to understand, right? Because you think, we haven't changed our, we haven't changed our minds. We still want to do good. We still want to go do, do these things. When you, someone asks you, um, often when someone says, like, you know, it's like, hey, are you still doing that? No, no, I need to get back on it. You, you do have the intention. You want to get back to it, but we don't, right? We, we keep pushing it off sometimes. I think this is exactly what Paul is talking about in this passage. People that want to do good, love God. We say, these are the best intentions I'm going to do. We've got to make God number one. Going to spend time with him every day. These are important, good, great things. We want to give God our best. 
know that there are things that we've got to stop doing. Stop, stop being prideful, stop gossiping, stop being envious, the things that you, know, you want to shift in your life. We, all, we can all want to do good, but the struggle comes with sinful desire. We can all want to do good, but the struggle comes with sinful desire. Paul says this and sometimes, and I, I know I can relate to this. He says he's doing wrong and he knows it. He still wants to do good. He still wants to, but that desire is so strong sometimes, it almost like it takes a personality of its own. He even says it, he goes, it's not even like it's me doing it, it's this other person coming in because the desire is so strong to do something you know you shouldn't. It's not even him, but he knows it, it is him. It is him doing that, and it is us today, it's me. <laughs> it's us doing these things sometimes. The truth of the matter is, it's easier for us to do wrong sometimes than it is good, right? When, when, when you think of, of what you should do, there's the right thing to do, there's the wrong thing to do. I think there's a, a reason a lot of us deviate towards the wrong thing because it looks more fun, and sometimes it's just easier. It, it's just an easier choice. It, it, if you think, oh, you know, it comes naturally, hey, this morning I'm gonna get up early and I'm gonna pray, or I'm gonna sleep in. What's the easier thing to do, right? It's easier to sleep in. And, and physically, you may even feel even better doing that. But it's harder to set your alarm maybe to wake up and say, hey, I'm gonna get up early today. I'm gonna get up early and I'm gonna pray. And you know what, in that moment, when your alarm goes off, you may even have that, oh gosh, I'm praying God just keep my eyes open. So just to, to start there. But when you take that step to say, I'm gonna do something, even though it's harder, the benefits are so much better than what happens if you take the easier route. Being committed to something versus being not committed, it's easy to say no. You know, if, if someone says, you know, hey, I have an opportunity here, you wanna help, it's super easy to say no. It's not easy to say yes because yes is gonna take your time it may take some resources, it's gonna take energy, it's gonna take effort, but I guarantee you that yes in giving some of your time, your effort, your energy to being committed to something, especially in a ministry serving opportunity, that is so much more beneficial. You see so much more growth in you than taking the easy way and saying, no, I'm not gonna commit. Thinking uh, pure thoughts versus impure thoughts, it's easy to let your mind wander. You see something that's so easy to go down that rabbit trail of thinking things that you, know, you shouldn't be thinking. It's hard to say, you know what? I'm not gonna go that way. I'm gonna focus on the good things. We talked about that a number of weeks ago, focusing on the good. It's not the easiest choice to make, but it's the better choice. Keeping versus giving. Keeping your, your, your treasures and, and your time, your resources, keep it all to yourself or saying, hey, I'm gonna be someone who God's given me this. I get to be a steward of it to give it out. It's easy to keep. And um, I know a friend of mine, uh, when he, he started making a, uh, Real money, he called it. He was like, man, I'm making real money. But then the struggle for him was he wasn't giving as much anymore because it was easy for him to say, hey, I'm making more. I'm just going to keep it for me. But then when he, he turned that tide and said, I'm going to start giving more, he saw that God gave him more. and said, hey, now you're being a steward. I didn't give you this for you. I gave you this for this. It's so much harder to do the right thing, but it's so much better to do the right thing. This condition causes, us, uh, causes Paul to say, he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And, and many believe that that phrase, body of death, I don't think it was used lightly because they're actually in scriptural times, there was a Roman capital punishment that was practiced and it was really, really gnarly. If someone was convicted of murder and they were found guilty and they were sentenced to death, one method of death was crucifixion. The other method was literally tying them and tethering them to the body of the person they killed until they died. So you became a body of death. 
And so Paul says this, who will rescue me from this body of death? I think it paints a really vivid picture of sinful tendency being like, if we, if we, if we give in to that willingly over and over, we're literally clinging to something that God said, I died for this. You don't need to be clinged to this anymore. You are free from this and you don't need to tether yourself to that sinful tendency. And Paul asks the question, he says, who will rescue us? But he knew the answer. Who will rescue us from this body of death? Who will rescue us from dragging along this corpse of sin everywhere we go? And that answer, of course, is Christ. Thanks to God, right, that through Jesus, we are free from a body of death. We are free from being tethered to sin. Christ rescued us, and that gives us freedom. I love it. And how does Christ rescue us? He interceded for us. He took our punishment. His spirit lives within us, and his spirit convicts us of what's right and wrong. His spirit lives in us and goes through us and guides us into righteousness. Again, not what we do, because we don't have to do to be. It's because of the gift that God gave us of his grace and his Holy Spirit. And he, Jesus did this with his example and his advice. Matthew 26, 41 says, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I love that Matthew talks all about this, and then all throughout Paul, talks all about how his flesh is weak. Paul talks about his flesh is weak. No, but I love that it all comes down to prayer here. The night Jesus was arrested before his death, Jesus showed us what an amazing thing prayer is. In that moment when Jesus was feeling his, the son of God, right? This is God in the flesh. He is at his moment where he is now starting to feel his, his human frailty, right? He's, he knows he's gonna get put to death. He knows the pain is coming. He knows what he's about to do. He's even asking God. He says, God, if there's any other way to get this done, let's go that way. He is praying. He is in the moment. But I love that in that moment where his flesh may be feeling weak, what does he turn to? He turns to prayer. He turns to prayer and he ultimately comes to obedience with God. His disciples didn't do so well in this area. Especially in that moment, right? Jesus said, hey, I'm going to go pray. I need you to stand watch and pray. And what did they do? They hit the snooze button over and over and over again. They kept snoozing. And it's, it's interesting that in that moment, Jesus says, watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, and he says it here, but the flesh is weak. Paul echoes that in Romans. Jesus gives us advice. He says this. He says, watch and pray. We need to be alert. Think from this, we need to be alert and recognize our own vulnerability. And we need to pray and depend on the leadership, power, and protection of God. It's a fun thing when we talk about freedom, isn't it? We're talking about freedom from the law, freedom from guilt, and at the same time, in that same sentence of being free, we talk about being totally dependent on Jesus. But it's in that dependency on him that we get to experience an abundance of freedom that we don't experience if we don't have Jesus. In the garden that night, Jesus was the one who prayed. His disciples fell asleep. And in the crisis, what happened? It's crazy that, that in that moment, Jesus is the one who still walks in obedience to God. And the disciples, the one who, who slept and, and couldn't pray, they ran. They fled. It, it's a moment of someone like, hey, this is because Jesus was so in tune with what God was doing. It, he was still obviously nervous about what was coming. It's like, you know, Jesus was, he was sweating blood because he was so stressed out about what was coming, but he still walked in obedience when others fled. <clears throat> it's okay to be frustrated in these moments. It shows that you care. But when you get frustrated, know that Jesus can set you free from that temptation, that desire, that, that easier choice. Pray, rely on Jesus. Know that you all are vulnerable and Jesus can set you free. 
Third, we are free from condemnation. Now, I, I love this. Therefore, it says this in uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who did not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, so what is condemnation? When, when, you, when you say we're free from condemnation, the word actually means a result of judgment. We are free from the result of judgment, right? A good way to understand this is kind of like um, a judge at the end of a trial, right? You, you watch a trial, the judge goes, when he bangs that gavel or she bangs that gavel, whatever they say, that is the law, that is judgment, they get to issue down. And what's crazy is sometimes the judge has the power in that moment to say, this is what the normal penalty is, I can make it even harsher, a judge has that power and that ability to usher down the result of judgment. Now, to put it in this perspective, if we were still in our sin, we were not free from sin. Let's so just say hypothetically, we're not free from sin. Jesus did not come. We are totally immersed in, in sin and we're bound by it and weighted down. We stand before God, we get judged. In that moment, there's a really not desirable penalty for that sin. But I love that because of Jesus, we are free from that judgment. When we stand before God, we literally get to have Jesus on us. His blood covers us, and that judgment is washed away. That condemnation is free. We are free from that penalty of death. Jesus made it possible for us not to face condemnation. Jesus made it possible not to face condemnation. He was sinless. He fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. Therefore, God offered him as that sin offering. He bore the sin of the world on the cross. And because of that, we're free. We don't face the wrath because we are free. We are in Christ. And how do we get in Christ? We say yes. We say, you know what, God, I, I know that I've messed up. Jesus, I believe in who you are and what you've done, and I choose to follow you. Galatians 3.27 says, For all you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And I love that. We get to be free. We get to celebrate the ultimate freedom in Jesus because of what he did for us. And I, I think society today, if you say we are a free society and free country, I, I think there's, there's a lot of people in society that doesn't really understand what freedom means, right? A lot of times society will say that means they're free to go do drugs, free to go get drunk, free to sleep around with whoever you want. It means uh, kids are free to do whatever they want, go to school, not go to school, do whatever. That, that's what a lot of people will say. Well, it's a free country. I can do whatever I want. But ultimately, living in that life really enslaves you. Living like that really, really enslaves you. And suddenly now you have the weight of decisions and the weight of things you're doing wrapped around like a ball and chain around your neck. Drinking and drugs leads to addiction. <clears throat> Sleeping around can, can lead to, to STDs and, and unwanted pregnancies and ultimately people getting abortions, broken hearts from being used. There's so many things that, that people say if you embrace what the world says freedom is can lead to so much bondage and heartache. But in Christ... We have freedom, like true, genuine freedom. We are free from the law of do to be. We are free from condemnation, and we're free from the frustration of life. And I think that is the most incredible thing that we get to celebrate is total freedom in Jesus. So the question is, how are you going to live your life knowing that you've won? 
How are we going to live our life knowing that we are free? We get to leave here today and know that we're free. In Christ, we are free. And there's uh, one of my favorite snowboarders, um, Sean White. If you ever watched the Olympics or X Games or anything snowboarding competition, this man is phenomenal. Um, he won the gold medal a few times in the Olympics. And in 2010, in Vancouver, he goes to the Olympics, and the way the, the half pipe works, you know, so they're going on snowboard, they're doing tricks, everybody gets two runs. Whoever gets the highest score goes last in round two, so everyone's trying to beat that person's highest score, and then that person has a chance to try and keep it and win the gold. Sean White scored so high on his first run in the half pipe, when it was his turn to go again, before he went down, they said, you've already won the gold. He's at the top of the hill. I get the chills thinking about it because it was so fun to watch. He's at the top of the hill, and he's looking down, and he has this amazing moment with his coach where they're sitting there just cheering. They're like, you did it. You won gold. What are you going to do? And Sean White even says at this point, he says, do I just go down the half pipe? Do I just go down? His coach goes, no. No, victory lap. You get to perform. And he has this, this great dialogue where they talk about, should I do this trick? There was a trick he was going to unveil to do. And he ends up doing it. So um, go ahead and uh, watch this clip real fast. What I love is he didn't have to do any of that stuff. He already had gold. And what it doesn't show there on the clip is that at the end, they showed his score. He scored higher on his second run than he did on his first run. So it's like insult to injury to everyone that tried to beat him, right? And that, that trick had never been done before, and he landed it. And, but I love this because he knew he had the gold. This was his victory lap, and he didn't lighten up. He thought about it, again, the whole what's easier, what's harder. It would have been easy to just throw his hands in the air, go straight down the mountain, across the finish line, you've got a gold medal. But he went all out. He did the trick. He was practicing. They were all excited to, to see, and he landed it and got a really, really high score. How are we going to do our victory run? We have the ultimate freedom in Jesus. We are free. We get to live under his banner of grace and know that we are free from death, free from condemnation. Are we going to go out quietly now and go, okay, I'm just going to... It's going to go day to day. I know I'm free. Things are good. Are we going to go out celebrating? We get to do an incredible victory run. We win. Jesus wins. We are free. I don't want to take it casually. I don't want to take the safe route. I want to go and say, I get to celebrate this freedom. I get to share with the world the freedom that I have, that I want them to have, because then they get to do the victory lap with me. And we, like the coaches at the top and the people at the bottom, we all get to celebrate together because Jesus has the victory. It's already ours, and we get to live it every day. That is freedom. Would you all stand with me? It's a great thing to celebrate, not just the, the birthday of, of the USA, but the freedom we have in Jesus. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, I thank you so much. I thank you that you set us free. God, we're, we're no longer slaves to fear. We're not, we're not bound by the weight of sin. We're not, we're not bound to the law of death because of sin, but in you, because of your grace, we are free. I pray that we live every day, we live in that freedom to the fullest, doing what you've called us to do, sharing your love with the world, God, and that we don't go silently, we don't go quietly, we go victorious, celebrating because we know nothing can take away our freedom. Nothing can take you away, and you are the ultimate victory. We thank you, God, we love you. And everybody said, amen. amen.